Available on all podcast platforms. This is the Psychology Cast, the podcast that interviews unique individuals on why they do what they do. This podcast, I talked to Kenny White, who is the author of Waiting for the One. Now, in the conversation, we talk about how it's important to have role models um, as we're growing up. And she especially wrote this book, which um, is a fascinating insight into the challenges people face and also the inspiration that we need. Um, so I really enjoyed the conversation with uh, Kena, um, and I'm hope sure um, I'm sure you will do as well. Um, I think think about you know what does it mean to have role models in your life, and we should always encourage people to be positive role models. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Okay, cool. Excellent. So hi, Kira. My name is Jalil. Um, you know, as you might come across my profile, I'm a PhD psychology kind of student in this area. And yes. I thought it would be really interesting to have a conversation with you, not just for um, like the audience, but mainly for myself. Um, okay. About actually what it is about yourself and what motivates you and what what background are you in and what's motivate you to to do what you do so i suppose my first question is um uh, tell us a bit more about your um kind of your, your your studies or your academic background at the moment okay um so where do i begin i started as a teacher and um, I always knew I wanted to be a therapist since I was a little girl. But um, my godfather was just like, stick to what you know, which was education. And um, I have like a little story that kind of goes with my educational story. Um, I'm, um, I'm a single mom of a child with a child with autism. And so when he was like newly diagnosed, I had just started back into school. And that's what kind of fueled my desire to really be an educator because I wanted to teach myself the laws and the rights, uh, especially with a child with a disability. This, it's like a different world and a different language. So I, I needed to understand. And I needed to understand like what he was entitled to, what type of services he was entitled to, and just to kind of make sure that he always improved developmentally. So my academic career kind of coincided with him, so to speak. Um, and so I, I, I stuck out with education. And but like midway, like my junior year of college, I realized that this is not what I want to do. But I still taught. Um, I wound up going getting my psychology degree, um, my bachelor's in psychology. Then as I was learning um, psychology, I got into the field of um, individuals with disabilities again because it's now on a personal front because I have a child with it so I'm like engulfed in it learning it falling in love with it but then I'm still like caught to my passion which is to be a therapist and I'm just like how can I mix these two fields together well lo and behold it's a possibility and happen and that's what I do now um, I'm an in-home therapist to individuals with disabilities um, so they have comorbid conditions or dual diagnosis they either have um a developmental delay or some type of developmental disability or two mental health conditions so it's always two that you're constantly treating or 
I say like they're like fighting each other, they're having like a duality, or they're in combination with one another, depending on the symptoms. And so, um, that's quite interesting. I, I mean, I'm just gonna say, I think the way you put it, I mean, I don't think I've heard people put it that way. It's a very, um, you know, useful way of explaining when the symptoms of fighting against one another. Yeah, because it depends on with you know how you look at it, or it's either um, prime example a child with um, autism. Mm. A lot of times they show signs and symptoms of OCD. Okay. Which a lot of parents uh, will say, "Well, my child has OCD." Well, no, your child doesn't have OCD. Your child has autism, but it presents with OCD-like behaviors. So if you take a high-functioning autistic child and tell them that they have OCD, they're going to want you to treat the OCD, not realizing that this is just part of their personality. This is just how they like things. This is how they handle situations. Whereas they're thinking it as a negative thing that they have to fix mm. when it's technically a part of who they are. Yeah. It's just their structure, how they, again, how they like to set up things, how they like to interact. So I, I think once you realize um, we come away from just the diagnosis or always looking at them to fit in certain criteria, then we can, you know, treat the, the patient correctly. Um, so. No, I mean, that's, that's I, I, I mean, I think that's really, really interesting and very useful for me. I suppose I did do, I did do some work around um, schools, um, especially mm-hmm. uh, with learning um, learning needs. So mm-hmm. these kids were about three, four, five years old in um, primary school. And, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be quite a few of us that would be teaching. And each um, child, you can see, they have their own way of communicating, their own needs, and mm-hmm. their own communicating with you. And they're trying to, they've got their own special uh, relationship. I remember standing in the playground as the first, first, first time I went to the school. And uh-huh. in the playground, I was on duty, right? <laughs> and, uh-huh. and all of this, all of this, all the people were just, all of the new people, uh, so all the people, so the kids were coming up. Because obviously for them, it was a new thing. Yeah. They were just coming to stare, just stare at you. And they're fascinated. You know? Like, who are you? <laughs> yes. and, and, it, and for me, it was a very, like a, like a real experience to say, actually, they are just, they're just who they are. And I think to myself, actually, am I any different? But I probably would have done the same thing if I was a, if I was a child. Yes, exactly. Um, and I was having a conversation with one of my clients, um, parents today, and, um, we were, she's an educator and I was explaining to her, she was like, well, you know, what made you switch over to like counseling? And I said, you know, believe it or not, I said, I love teaching the little ones um, because I was a pre-K teacher for like 10 years. And I said, what I loved about it is because it taught me how to work with individuals with disabilities because there were skill sets um, that you had to learn how to teach the little ones. You have to understand the different levels of understanding. So you have a kid who has basically a blank slate and you're now like their teacher. So they don't know social and emotional. They, know, they don't know social skills. They don't have the concept of emotions and expressing emotions or identifying, understanding emotions. So I said, it's the same as dealing with a child with a disability. It's the same developmental area 
that they're both on and on the same exact level. So working with preschoolers helped me work with my clients with developmental disabilities. And it, they helped me teach them um, like social emotional skills, how to have a conversation and a few other things. Like I was able to teach my clients based off of the information I learned as a preschool teacher. I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm just very interested into learning about um, why that transition period when you said you went back to in education, you know, what was, uh -huh. what was going through your mind? Because the only reason why I say, because I made that, I made that switch. I was working, uh -huh. I wanted more from life. And I knew the stuff that was going through my head, like, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're not going to make it. You know, yeah. So what was going through your mind? You know, what that transition? Actually, what, um, what triggered it? What triggered it first? So what was that key? Do you think that moment? You think mm, I'm going to do this? And two, what was going through your mind? To go back into education or to go into counseling? Um, to go back to education. Oh, okay. So it was more so um, convenient. It wasn't that I didn't love education. Mm. It was more so convenience. And I felt like I was going to learn and I wanted to grow first professionally. And I wanted to be able to use my skill set to, when I do get there as a therapist, I wanted to have enough skills and training and understanding of myself first. It was all about self growth, I think, and having that confidence within myself. And then did, I think I also wanted to just make sure that my son was stable. Um, developmentally because with teaching it allowed me a lot of flexibility and it allowed me to know and have more information whereas opposed to like now that I've been counseling full-time there's a lot of information like I don't feel like I have privy to or just information that I felt like I need to know but now um, so I kind of miss being an educator and I still feel like I am an educator in some some form of sense but I think for me, it was, I felt like I needed to learn more. I, I needed to develop more professionally and to kind of have a cushion with my background to show that I have some type of substance. I have some built, like some background knowledge or just background um, professionalism or experience. And so that's pretty much why I stayed. And it was familiar, it was something that I knew but I was willing to learn more into it because as I started teaching, I grew within that profession. I became the lead teacher and I started providing workshops. I started um, mentoring novice teachers. So I gained a lot of experience just by teaching and pushing myself. So the more I advanced, um, like my job advanced with me. And then so I you, think that. Yeah, and then you moved into um, counseling. counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, counseling, had, I kind of also did them both. I did them together while I was doing my hours to get my license. So I was juggling for the past four years, juggling both careers. Um, it wasn't until uh, June of last year that I decided to just stick with one area. So well, that's, that's, that's really good. I mean, I would... I mean, I started, I think I, yeah, I'm finishing off my, like, um, PhD. Uh-huh. Qualifying as a psychologist. 
So oh, nice. At the same time, yeah. And it's so I want I want to have the choice of like practice, mm -hmm. so um, the lecturing at university. Uh -huh. People ask me, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do? And I said, like, well, I like to keep my options open. I yeah. Like, and I like to be adaptable. I like to be flexible. I think it's Same here. Yeah, I sense that from your, from your answer. Yeah. You can move within the two and you can utilize the skills from the both, both you know. Together. Yeah, absolutely. I told someone that... Um, I had a conversation with my son's father, and this is when I was like debating on if I was gonna apply for my master's, like go into school for my master's. And he said, well, you gotta look at school as like a business. And I said, hmm, he's absolutely right. So I started thinking of it as a way to market myself. Like, how would you wanna market yourself? How do you wanna take this course curriculum and apply it? So I, for my master's, I, went to, I applied for school counseling, but I wound up graduating with mental health counseling. I wound up graduating with both certifications. And um, so many people were just like, how did you do that? And I was like, what happened was I studied the, um, the course book and I saw which programs matched as far as in references and courses and like which ones, like how many credits would I would have to take to get this particular degree or this particular certification. So because I was um, crossing the, the courses, they had to grandfather me and they had to give me the certification because technically on my transcript, I took the classes. So no. that's how I was able to have a mental health degree um and a school counseling certificate yeah and i think you know the i'm sure people around you benefit you know not just from mm -hmm. you going to education but also becoming therapist i'm sure you've you've helped a lot of you know lots of people in your life not just in, in a professional capacity but also in a yes capacity. everyone comes to you for help isn't it i presume you know a lot of people do yeah you know, I, I love it yeah I I love being able to take the skill sets that I learned and teach it to others or teach them how to apply what I've learned, you know, for the benefit of themselves or just for their life and that, 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 they, that, that they'll be able to just do it. So I don't think it's hard. I think it's just having the mindset to do it and having the courage to do it and know that you can do it. That's all. Now, this is going to bring me on to the next kind of the next part of the interview. Uh, uh -huh. around your, I believe it's around your book. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I had a brief read of it, but the way I basically ask people is I like, try to find out more about the author and okay. their inspiration of like what made them want to do that book because mm -hmm. it's a big thing, it's a massive thing. You know, like a lot of people in their heads, people that I come across, students that I come across, they've got a book in them, right? But they don't have. Yes that next step of actually going and doing it you know it's a big thing it's a big step I mean, it's a big step for me i've never done it so you know hats off to you and i just thank want, you i just think basically it would be interesting um for people listening in and even mm -hmm. my friends even other students who might be taking this to say what um what inspired you to 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 write the book <coughs> well i first started with um with my autobiography. That's how I, I initially started. And I couldn't write it. I wanted to write my story. That's what my focus on. I had like a literature consultant 
I had other authors helping me, but it wasn't my first book. And so um, I believe in like dreams and just like I meditate. So I'm very spiritual on that essence. And so um, one day, two years ago, I did like a fast. I did a water fast. And for seven days, just nothing but water. And like my clarity was just clear. Well, had you been and just water, no food? No fruit, just water. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. That's like, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough because I was still working the two jobs and just nothing but on water. But it's, the first day was hard. The second, by the second and third day, I was fine. Like I, I was just, I was okay. Like I had so much energy. I was shocked that I had so much energy, but I had so much clarity mm. um, by doing it. And that's when I realized that, okay, I, I started to sit down and I write, I wrote my son a letter. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write him a letter. Maybe that this is how I should approach my personal book. And then that's when I still just kept writing and I was meditating. I was just sitting on the floor, just reflecting. And then that's when it came to me. No, you're going you're gonna to write another book. And I started to think about all of just African-American males, or just black males. And I started writing to them. And so I said, what is written for one will be for all. And then that's when it came to me, written for one. And so I didn't think that the world was ready just yet. Mm. This, had, this was like in 2017, 2008, 2018. I didn't think that the world was ready yet. I wasn't ready, but I kept having dreams. Every time I meditated, every time I detoxed, a vision would come, a dream would come. It's just like, you need to do this book. You need to get through the book. And then it said, it's going to be a series. So I was just like, okay, we're going to do a series. And as soon as like the series idea, more stuff kept coming to my mind. Like I started being more creative. And it wasn't until like November 2018, that's when I made the decision to start working on a book. And I wasn't sure of how it was going to come out. <laughs> I wasn't sure of how I was going to do anything. I just knew that this book, Dear Black Son, had to be the first book. And so it started off with collecting letters. I reached out to just different people and just said, hey, would you consider writing your son a letter, telling them why you are the way you are, just telling them your story, and telling them that you love them. And you know, what are, you, what are your hopes for them? Just give them some words of positivity. And because I just felt like black males didn't have enough positivity or they just were just always hard on themselves. And seeing some of my clients, they was already self-defeated without, with, well, through life and about life and at so early of an age. Some of them four or five years old, they're not even thinking that, that much of themselves or I'm not gonna live that long or I'm just like, wow. So we need to do something to motivate um, people of color. And um, so then that's when I was just like, I started to collect letters and I started to just go ahead and just connect with more people and just see how many more people are willing to write letters. How was, and how when I got the response, huh? How was the response? Did people respond to? People was it was it, it was an it was an amazing experience. Mm. Um, people was nervous. People of course, some yeah. Of, yeah. some people were um, 
they had a hard time writing. Some of the fathers just felt like they weren't going to be received by their child. Yeah. They felt like um, that it was just hard. They, they felt like they couldn't make the connection or they won't be able to make the connection. And that's why I made it anonymous yeah. because I felt that maybe even if you write this now, maybe when your child gets older or you, you do, you guys decide to mend the relationship, you'll have this as evidence that you showed your love in some type of way. Some people felt that it helped them communicate better. Um, some people felt like it was an opportunity to say how they feel because they're not given the chance to. Uh, it was so many different reactions to writing the letter. Some people felt it was therapeutic. Some people felt like it was just like, okay, I got a weight lifted off of me. And now I know that my child has something for them. Even if we don't speak, or even if we do speak, if something was to happen to me, this is something that they can have in this book. And it's for them. Even, but the reason, my whole goal behind making it for everyone, it was for those males that didn't have parents or those males who parents who died early. And they always wanted to know, what would my parents say to me? So this book will provide them with that chance of that, to have that type of experience as what, well. So that's how that happened. What, you know, what, what made you think of that idea? Like? Um, my cousins, my, I have two cousins. My aunt passed away when I was 12 and one was nine months old and the other one was seven. And so I kind of, when the youngest one turned 18, before he turned 18, I let him come stay with me. Mm. And he was the one that was nine months old. He never had a relationship with his mother. And so he started to call me mom. And I'm mm. like, but I'm not your mom. Yeah. And so we would have the conversations and he said, well, if my mom was alive, I think that you would represent her or you would be just like her. And so it, it always caught me into thinking and, and seeing their experience is also why I am the way I am as a mom too, because I wanted to make sure that my son had little messages or little lessons written by me to make it through life. Um, and so that was another like inspiration behind the book. So it, it could be for everyone, especially those who have either lost their parents or don't have a connection with their parents. So we got, I was able to have 13 males and 17 females write letters. And what do you think it does for um, people who read the book? What do you, from a therapeutic sense, do you, did, does, it, does it help them to have some sort of connection, some closure? Yes. So I think connection, closure. Mm. So far what I've heard was, um, some parents have read it with their child and they said they connected more. They reflected on the letters. Yes. They, they, it caused them to build a better relationship with their child. They thought about writing let their own personal letters to their, their sons. Um, and we have dear black daughter coming up next. So that's the next book we're working on, but it's, it's, it's a full tired series, but getting back to like the therapeutic standpoint, I wanted it to be, therapeutic in a way to where you get to know who you are you understand yourself as a parent but then you get to kind of connect with your child and let them know I may be kind of hard um am I this is the reason why I'm hard because of my life mm. but 
just know that I love you. I don't mean it intentionally or harshly, but these are the words. This, this is what I see for you. This is what I want for you. So here, here are these words for you. And every book, well, every letter ended off with a positive note. So it was just, it was, it was, I thought it was amazing. I just think it was amazing. And I think um, what people also found interesting was that next to each letter was a positive picture. And so I brought the, the letters to life by including an image next to it. And I filled the book up with collages of photos of black males of all ages and just just an array of like complexions and just them doing different things that you sometimes don't get to see because we just either we're not paying attention to it or it's not acknowledged. And since 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 though you finished the book and um, what's been the feedback been like? Uh, meaning, how's it made you feel the feedback? Um. I've gotten, there was three um, feedbacks that I was looking for and I've gotten all three. I wanted it to be an eye opener for other cultures and races in which it was. Um, I had quite a few who did read it, say that it opened their eyes because they thought that all races like grew up the same or had the same experience. But to see that um, parents of, Black children sometimes have different experiences or have teach their children different lessons because of what they went through. So that was one of the um, feedbacks that I was looking for and I got that. I wanted it to be to where you can also read it and be able to personal, personalize it mm. and reflect on it and connect with it individually. And several of the males that read it said, this letter stood out to me because that was something I wanted my mother to say to me. Or I was able to take those words and understand it now. I see why my mother was the way she was. And their parents were the parents who wrote the letters. So like it was, it was just an innocent experience, but that's what they took, they took away from it. And for it to also build a connection during one of the photo shoots, um, I read one of the letters, one of the, the participant who wrote the letter, he was the model for his letter, for, for his letter in the book. And he was with his actual three sons. And during the interaction, I read his letter to his three sons and it formed their bond closer through just the, me reading the letter, the photo shoot them having quality time and we had a conversation and I said so what do you guys think about your father writing a letter and they said well we didn't know he felt like that and so some I think sometimes we don't know how to communicate with our children mm. so they felt that it, it meant love like they felt love they felt wanted they understood their father because now it's like, wow, you wrote something for me and now you're explaining to me why things appear to be what they are, but they're not. I mean, has this project been done anywhere else that you've known as work? What's the research behind this? Was this a new project that you've just put together? Yes, it was. I don't oh. think it was ever done. Um, I, I think I'm new to, I'm the first, like for, when I tell people, they're like, I've never heard of that before. Cause what I did was even in writing the book, um, the table of contents is a poem. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then when you read the introductions to each chapter, it's the continuation of the table of contents and they break it down into smaller poems that then introduce the letters and the energy or the meaning behind what the parents were trying to, was trying to convey in that chapter. I'm just thinking, you know, is there opportunities? Well, two opportunities. One mm-hmm. is one is basically looking at the research and you know seeing the evidence behind this intervention. That's what it is. Um, and can the intervention be sort of like um, you know rolled out into community programs where um, they implement this strategy um, to look at ways to build more stronger bonds and more secure attachment um, in order to yeah and it also so basically the outcome would be people feel um, a lot more confident about themselves um, they feel they have more family connections their mental well-being starts to improve you know all these little things obviously these are the benefits but I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about the opportunity there like for yourself is there something that you've expl- thought about Yes, I thought about, um, because there's a documentary that goes with each book. So Dear Black Sun has a documentary or, uh, yes, it has a documentary to go with it in addition to Dear Black Daughter. And so it's, a, the, the Written for One series is like a 25 book series. And it's not just for, you know, people of color, even though like that's the primary focus. It's also for culture and diversity. Like I want to touch on so many different subjects, but I, I want to have a, um, a clarity of understanding. And then to have those uncomfortable conversations of why people can't open up. Yeah. Why is it hard for people to be themselves? Why, you know, why can't we um, expand as a race or culture and just people just in general? Why can't we expand? So I did think about workshops and some of them, I do want to provide opportunities to where we have that discussion. Um, because the third book is um, Dear Black History. And in that essence, I want to go into time. I feel that it's okay to celebrate and honor the big historians of like different cultures. But what about the historians and the history changes in your personal family? How many people in our own personal family has changed history within our family that we do not know about? Yes. And so I just want to be able to hear their stories and that I feel like that's going to be like my big documentary because I want to know their stories. I want to know how did you change the cycle in your family? And I got to have a conversation with my grandmother and hearing her story, like, oh, she was, she picked cotton before going to school and she only had a 10th grade education, but how she changed our path was being honest. And she said that being honest was frowned upon. Like she was always lied to. And I'm like, wow. Oh, yeah. She's just like, no, we were lied to all the time. She said nothing was, nobody was really honest. We were lied to about everything. And she said we had to learn the hard way. So I chose to teach my children and grandchildren how to be honest and how to know the truth and know information. I'm like, oh, wow. And look at the impact that has on, like me, for example, I love information. I love the truth. I love to know 
what exactly was going on. Like I would research something before I believe it. Um, and just having that ability. So I think that is just like, wow, that's great. So I want to just find a good 10 to 15 stories to where I could just research um, and get more just information about everyday people life. And that was the goal of the series is to highlight everyday people, to make them known, to make their stories understood, for them to have a level of understanding and self-healing and have the ability to self-reflect, but also maybe impact somebody else by their story and inspire somebody else or motivate somebody else from their story. So. No, that was really useful. And I, I just think, you know, like developing the human being to reach his full potential, unlocking that. Yes. Isn't it? It's unlocking and say, look, I, you don't need me. The only person you need is yourself. But if I can show yeah. you tools, you, can, you know how to use them. You're on your way. You don't just change yourself. You are changing a whole generation that comes off. Exactly. 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 And, and, that, and that's the goal of the series. Um, again, it's just a, sometimes we need to go to the past to kind of reflect, but then also go forward. How do we go forward? How do we understand things? And so like me growing up, I used to fault my mom for things. But then when I got to understand her story, yeah. it was just like, you're human. Like <laughs> you only did what you know. Like and then learning psychology and being engulfed in human behavior, understanding the brain and how we operate as humans. Which is like, oh, okay. Well, I can't really fault you for that because you were kind of conditioned that way. So, you know, you were doing what you what was bestowed upon you. So that's all you knew. So my parents are the same. So they they don't even understand what what psychology is and what it means. You know, maybe, yeah. but maybe in another age, in another time, they will. So I get it. Yeah. I say it's it's almost like okay, and I'm sure the people that come after me, I'm not going to be able to fully understand and appreciate. But what I can do is be as close to it. Yes. In that sense, so I think I I I I definitely know that actually what you're trying to achieve. I'm just thinking because yeah. you know, I think people need to hear more about that work because it's a disruptor. It, it disrupts things, the status quo, if you like, to improve yeah. you forward and say, actually, look, we don't need to be here. We can be over there, you know? And it's all yes. And I'm just thinking, like, what are you going to do next then with this? What's your immediate next plan? Well, I'm looking, I guess once I get the first few books, I, my goal is to definitely start workshops. And I just haven't found the way to incorporate it. Um, but I would want like another team of professionals to work with me on orchestrating or just developing the workshops. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just still trying to like, because it's still new for me. Um, and the, as the more I progress in it and I see what I can do with it, I'm just like, okay, how can I create this into something? So I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think just talking to other professionals like you and just meeting other people has helped me to realize, okay, this is what you can do with this. And this is how you can make it impactful. I definitely would love to do workshops or like sit down dinners to where I'm providing the support or services and the resources for people and how I'm helping people make connections. Because that was like the next um, event that I did. I wanted to take the two books, Dear Black Daughter and um, mm -hmm. Son together. And I wanted to have like a dinner 
to kind of present the new book, which was history, but talk about why I'm doing history and how we build the connections, how we build the relationships, how we dig deep within ourselves to where people had to kind of eat, but they had to do the self work. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I like um, like intimate environments to where people can get to know one another and do the work as well. So I, I just, it, I guess it all depends on how it flows, but I'm, I'm gonna just let it come to me. And I think once it does come to me, I'll roll out something. And I definitely probably would keep you in mind so I could do some workshops over there. Oh, so. I mean, I think, I think, you know, in terms of like what you're saying about, because you have to keep testing yourself, keep advancing your critical thinking skills by listening to. Yes. Communicating with so many different people to say, actually, um, how is it that basically where, where we, where we join, where we, join the dots here, you know, yes. I joined up thinking there, this is where this fits. This is where I need the big expertise. And I think mm -hmm. we, we, I run a, like a mental health charity. Okay. We've come up with the, uh, like a model, um, which, um, delivers community education essentially. And it's about, I suppose for, we could take a top down approach and say, we know best. And so we deliver it or we start listening and listen to what the needs are and demands and we start delivering it. But one thing that I've learned is that our program has very, very um, good reach. And mm -hmm. in the town, people always refer to the charity as one okay, of the stakeholders, nice. but they don't, they don't fund it at the moment. So okay. my, my, so my argument is to a lot of people to say, actually, I have a model that works or we have a model that works. Okay, but if you if you want to be serious about it, you've got to back it financially. My model or my work can improve, um, so it can increase life expectancy for for mental health conditions. Yeah, well, I'm not guaranteeing that, but one one thing I can guarantee, mine will do better than yours. So I don't have to do this work, basically. You know? Yeah, but I've got a model that works. Now it's on you as commissioners in health commissioning. Um, to, to support you or not, I've got the evidence base. I've got the example yeah. of the portfolio. Now, whose responsibility is it to fund that piece of work? Because so in your case, you've got a model that works. You've got evidence there. You know, yes. It's in their interest. It's in their actual interest to to yes. to um, support, support it. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to uh, prove it because you've already proven the model works. It's a bit like when you buy, uh, you know, when you buy something like a car. You built a car that produce less emissions and it's been fast and everything. You don't need to do it, produce any more cars. You've got the model. Yes. And it's in their interest to buy that, you know, and invest yeah. in it still, because it's in their interest, not yours. You exactly. I think it's important for everyone that I speak to to remember that because they've got these successful pieces of projects and, you know, innovation and inventions and remedies and solutions and think myself they've got the formula they have got the yes formula. they don't need to repeat the formula the formula works you know um yeah. people just need to invest in it you know that is so true because uh, even with doing the project like i've invested financially myself into just making all of it possible even down to the photo shoots those are free. Like I pay for those. I don't expect the participants to pay for those because I want them to have the experience. What I want them to gain self-confidence. Like one of the girls, 
she was, she lacked a lot of self-confidence. And she said, I would have never done anything like this. But when, when we took the photos and the know that it was going to go for a book, she felt great. It was everyday people that I was looking for to be models. She's like, I never thought that I could be a model. And I was like, why wouldn't you think that you're a model? And she's like, because I don't think highly of myself. But having this moment to where it's like, I get to dress up. I get to be somebody else. So I get to pretend and still connect with my children at the same time. She felt great at the end of it. And then when she saw her photo, she just, she just cried. Like, she's like, oh my God, like, I really look beautiful. And I said, you did an amazing job. And I really appreciate it. And that's what I want. I want to build self-confidence in everyday people. And just for them to have that connection with themselves and to understand themselves even more from their experiences or even maybe from other people's experiences. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it'd be a shame if there wasn't, you know, there wasn't there wasn't investment in this. I, I think they've got to invest in it because yeah. it has the potential to change people's lives. You know? Yes. Make I think in time, the more um, I continue to like promote it, and to uh, bring awareness to it and give it its attention that it needs, then I really feel like people will invest in it because of the whole idea that behind it, the whole just, I guess, energy or say that I want, that's what I want to say, the energy behind it or just the, what I'm trying to do with it. It's not just, again, for people of color, it's also for culture and like diversity. Like God is one of the books that I want to do, Dear God or just dear religion, and to understand, as a therapist, treating people from different religious backgrounds, I find very intriguing, because it has taught me as a therapist that I can't always treat from the, the model of psychology. I now have to treat from, the psych from religion and understanding and respecting someone else's values. So that is like wow i cannot wait to do this book because you you i've gained an appreciation like i have clients who are jewish who are hindu hinduism who are buddhist who are christian um who are different parts of jewish and so different sects seculars and i'm just like wow i find it amazing and just like informative because it causes me to it forces me to grow professionally and to learn how to treat my clients based off of their views and their their religious values and what what they hold true to them so it, it's been really interesting and I'm just like excited to do that book because for so long I feel like we're a divide religious wise and spiritual wise to where if we can just see everybody's story everybody wants to understand themselves everybody just wants to grow and be a better version of themselves. That's it. Yeah, I was gonna say like, I think it'd be really, really interesting and useful to do a, a podcast in the future um, to want you um, to keep you up to, keep, keep me updated about your progress. And also, Definitely. Um, but before you go, um, uh -huh. before you go, normally I, I ask this to every guest. Uh, okay. And so I don't wanna put you on the spot, but it's, it's more from a, a, a natural <laughs> But um, how I finish the podcast off is when the uh, guest, um, so, someone like yourself, Kina, is that Kina? Yes. Uh huh. Kina, yes. Kina White, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I 
basically ask the um, the guest to give us the um, the line and then we cut off. So something like a quote or something you like to share um, with the audience. So, so I have to give you a line or a quote? Um, either. Something, something oh. inspirational. Okay, I can do that. That's awesome. That's I like that idea. <laughs> then I'll stop recording okay. once you said it. Okay. Um, a good inspirational quote. Um, something that I'm saying now to different clients and then people that I work with is make sure that you overcome who you used to be so you could become who you want to be. And that's it. Available on all podcast platforms. This is the Psychology Cast, the podcast that interviews unique individuals on why they do what they do.